Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. In the previous program, I was in Galatians chapter 5, between verses 18 and 23, and I was talking about the fruit of the Spirit. In verse 18, Galatians chapter 5, verse 18, he says, But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And I was explaining in the previous program that as you read the following verses, you don't look at the following verses from the point of view of verses 19 to 21 refer to the works of the flesh, and verses 22 to 23 refer to the works of the Spirit. And so instead of doing the works of the flesh, we are to now do the works of the Spirit. I don't believe that that's what he was intending to say, but unfortunately, people do read it from that point of view. It is consistent with the belief that we are to either live a life of the indulgence of the flesh or the restraint of the flesh, and so one group has to do with the indulgence of the flesh, The other group has to do with the restraint of the flesh, but I explained in the previous program that I believe that the first group is a description of what happens when a person lives their life according to either the indulgence or the restraint of the flesh. Either one will lead to sin because, of course, the law stirs up sin. And that this other way of life has to do with being led by the Spirit, not by good works, not by our own works. It's a completely different way of life. This is also the description of how our God relates to us. It is not the description of how we relate to others. But people will view it from that point of view. And I will explain that in just a moment with regards to the subject of fruit inspection. When people try to evaluate others or themselves on the basis of the fruit that is manifested in their lives. But before I do that, I'm going to review verse 22 where it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And in the previous program, I explained that against such there is a law if the law is in effect. It is not possible for God to express the love that he provides under the new covenant, under the old. It's not possible for him to do that because there is a law against love. There is a law against joy. There is a law against long-suffering because the law demands a response. It demands a result. It demands punishment for failure, for failure to live in obedience to the law. So in that way, against such there is no law, this would be true in the event that there was a law that Jesus did not fulfill. It is only because Jesus fulfilled all of the demands of all of law. It is only because he did that through his death, burial, and resurrection. Because he died for the sins of humanity, because he did that, There is no law left unfulfilled, so there is no law that can be held against us. 
you have to understand that there's no way, there is no way that he can love you if he's holding your sins against you. There's no way that he can be long-suffering. There's no way that he can be good or kind or gentle. There's no way that he can exercise self-control if the law demands that he respond and give you the punishment that is due according to the law. So when he says in verse 23, against such there is no law, to those who lived according to the law, they would say, oh, yes, there is. Against these things, there is a law. He cannot love you. He cannot enjoy you because of your sin, because of your adultery, because of your drunkenness, because of your selfish ambitions, because of your envy. He cannot be gentle with you. He cannot love you. They would say that that would be the case because that is what the law says. So for Paul to say in verse 23 against such there is no law. For him to say that is a further revelation. It is a revelation of the reality that the law has no place in our lives. Continuing into verse 24, he says, And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Those who are Christ's. How can we say that the flesh has been crucified, especially when you live your daily life and you realize that it seems to be just as much alive as it was before? How can we say that it's dead? How can we say that it's crucified? Well, we can say that it's crucified with its passions and desires in two ways. The first way is to say that because of what Jesus has done for us, because of the forgiveness that we have, because of the forgiveness of sins and the fact that he does not hold our sins against us anymore, in effect, it is as if our flesh is dead because there is no more punishment that can be executed. That's one way to look at this. Another way to look at this, and I believe both can very well be true, it depends on how you read this verse and in what context. I believe that both can be applied and that Paul could very well have been intending to say these two things simultaneously. He could have been saying that the passions and desires of the flesh are killed, they are crucified, they are put aside through the fruit that we receive from our God. We know that that is true as well, that the passions of the flesh, the desires of the flesh, are put aside, they are subdued at least, through the love and the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness that our God gives to us. Through our relationship with Him, we will find that these passions and desires are put away, they are dead. And the reason why is because the origin of these have to do with the emptiness that we have within us. It is our emptiness that leads us to sin, to the indulgence of the flesh, in other words. It is our emptiness. And so as he fills us with his being, it is then that our emptiness will be killed because we will be full. It's my opinion that that's what he's talking about. Continuing into verse 25, he says, If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Well, envy is found in verse 21. Do not envy. That is a work of the flesh. Why would a person become conceited? Why would a person provoke another? Why would a person be envy? Why would that happen? The only way that that can happen is if 
a person is under the law. That is the only way that the works of the flesh are going to be manifested. They are either under the law of Moses or they are under a law that they have created themselves. Either way, through the life of the indulgence of the flesh, the restraint of the flesh, a person is going to manifest these things because it is outside of living in the Spirit. It is outside of walking in the Spirit. The end result will be conceited provocations of one another in envy. This is what will happen. So he says, let us not become these things, in verse 26, let us not become these things, and the way that we can avoid becoming these things is by first recognizing, verse 18, that we are not under the law, and second, according to verse 18, we are led by the Spirit, and verse 25, we live by the Spirit, walk in the Spirit, Walk living, enjoying the Spirit and what He has for us. Now, I mentioned earlier that people will sometimes look at this and say, well, here's an opportunity for us to evaluate ourselves or to evaluate other people. We can do something called fruit inspection. We can investigate individuals. We can evaluate individuals. We can make comparisons with individuals. And we can determine just how mature they are in Christ. There are people who have this kind of an attitude. They have this attitude that the Christian life has something to do with evaluating each other, comparing each other with each other, you know, becoming conceited and provoking one another and envying one another. That's usually what ends up happening, according to verse 26. Now, listen, what people are doing is they're looking at other people and they are trying to come up with an excuse. They're trying to come up with a reason why they can put those people down, why they can condemn those other people, why they can step on those people to elevate themselves. That's usually what's motivating people when it comes to these kinds of things. But you know, when it comes to the fruit of the Spirit, when it comes to this being manifested within an individual, when it comes to these things, let me tell you something, it's really very simple. People are looking for things that they don't even know exist. They don't even know what these things are. They are looking for things that they don't know. In other words, if a person was manifesting the love of God, if a person was manifesting the joy of God, these people who are under the law wouldn't know it if they saw it. They wouldn't know it if they saw it. So when people say they're going to do some fruit inspection of somebody else, when people say that, what I hear is that this is an individual who wouldn't know it if they saw it. Who are they? Who do these people think they are to suggest that they can give a proper evaluation of what the fruit of the Spirit is, what it would look like, how it's manifested? Who do these people think they are? I have encountered an enormous number of people, a huge number of people. There are people all around us who actually have this kind of an attitude that they can do some kind of fruit inspection in somebody's life, and yet these people have no idea what the true fruit of the Spirit is, and so they would not know it if they saw it. And in most cases, they don't find it. I've asked people questions to that effect. I've asked them, so have you really found someone who you would say is really manifesting the fruit of the Spirit? And they refer to some person, they describe some person, of course, that I know, and we talk about that, and eventually... 
we can come to the conclusion that this person isn't really as impressive as this person thought that they were. It's just simply a lie. It's a total fraud. It doesn't exist. And you know why it doesn't exist? Because it doesn't exist here. It doesn't exist at the end of Galatians chapter 5, this idea that this is the fruit that we are supposed to be manifesting, that this is the fruit that describes a mature believer. It just isn't here. This is a description of either the fruit of the law or the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of you is not included. It's not included. You want to see the fruit of you? Go to the fruit of the law. That is a good description of the fruit that people manifest, the sin in their lives. But if you want the fruit of the Spirit... This is a description of what he gives. If anything, if anything is manifested within and through myself or you or any other, then this fruit of the Spirit is again still the fruit of the Spirit. For us to rest in him and receive the fruit that he has for us means that when he does a work in our heart to such an extent that he will transform us in such a way that these things are manifested in our lives in any capacity at all, we know full well that this is the living God reflecting himself within and through us. It still isn't us. It is him working, doing a work within and through us. We take what he has to offer, and while we rest in what he has to offer, he does a work within our hearts and shows himself within and through his people. Christ Jesus then lives within and through his people. Continuing in verse 24, this is Galatians chapter 5, verse 24, he says, And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And I explained earlier that because he died on our behalf, we are dead in him, and the passions and desires are extinguished through the deepest needs of our heart being met by him, as we are loved by him, as we are accepted by him, as we receive his kindness, goodness, graciousness, and faithfulness. Continuing in verse 25, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Then in Galatians chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, he says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, You who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Now, how would you be tempted? I mean, if you see somebody struggling who is close to you, who you have a relationship with that would allow you to go and interact with this person, if this person is a brother, for example, a brother in Christ Jesus, and they seem to be overtaken in something, How could you be tempted with the same thing? Well, it's easy. It depends on your approach. It depends on your attitude. It depends on your belief. If you go to this person from the traditional point of view, you know, the traditional point of view of saying something like, now, excuse me, brother, I I noticed that you're sinning. I, I noticed this. This is quite obvious. And so I just wanted you to know that this is sin, that this is evil. Now, what else are you going to say about that? You're going to probably say something like, God is going to hold this against you. For me to bring it up, for me to bring it up in any way and suggest that it's something that you should stop doing suggests that he would hold it against you. That must be the reason as to why you should stop doing that. Or I could come up with something a little bit more convenient. I could say that it just simply is not good for you. You know, that kind of thing. But regardless of how 
a person approaches a brother caught in some particular sin, it's easy to be tempted with it because the law stirs up sin. And if we go to that individual approaching them from the perspective of the law, we can be tempted also as we also are affected by that and we may also be motivated by that. And if we are, then what is this going to look like? Well, it's very simple. If I tell you that something is evil, that something is against the law of God, if I use that as my explanation with regards to why you should make a change in your life, an adjustment in your life, you know, it could very well be true. Yes, it is true. It is sin. Yes, it is true that this is the law. Yes, it is true that God gave the law. But what is this going to do? It is going to stir up sin. It's going to tempt us to sin. Why? First of all, because of the natural rebellion of humanity. You know, your brother might just simply say, well, don't be telling me what to do. I still believe that I am somewhat independent of God, and I'm going to show it just by continuing to do this. Or we might have that attitude ourselves. You know, who is God really that he would tell us what we shouldn't be doing? Some people respond that way to some laws. Don't be tempted in this way. If you're not, don't worry, there's more. You can be tempted just because you probably weren't thinking about that yourself. You weren't thinking about that sin. You weren't thinking about that law. But you just so happened to notice that one of your brothers or sisters were struggling with those things. And so you go to them and you say, hey, listen, we shouldn't be doing this. And as you think about it, as you pray about it, as you talk about it, as you chat about it, as you continue to to find ways of getting past it, you might be tempted with it as well because you probably were not thinking about that sin until it was brought up in this context and after a period of time, this might be some sin that you would find appealing. And you might be thinking that maybe you'd like to do it yourself. After all, if this brother or sister seems to be enjoying themselves with this, why shouldn't I enjoy myself as well? If God doesn't hold their sin against them, then why would he hold this sin against me? I should go ahead and do it. These are the kinds of things that people think about that lead them to temptation and can easily, it can easily show them what Paul is saying here in Galatians chapter 6 verse 1 when he says, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. Well, what if you're not tempted by this particular sin that this person is struggling with? You can easily say, that you don't violate that law. You don't commit that sin. You're not tempted by that sin, but you are now tempted by the religious pride that you can esteem because you have overcome that sin. You are holy. You don't sin in that way, but they do. You had better consider yourself and be careful because you may be tempted to sin with the religious pride that will be manifested through your attitude towards this individual because you may not struggle with this sin, but you struggle with other sins. There's plenty of other sins in your life. And so you might be tempted in the sense that your religious pride will be built up. Your religious pride will result in other sins through your ungracious attitude, through the lack of kindness that you will have within your being, through the lack of peace that will truly be manifested within you because deep down inside you probably know that if somebody was to discover this sin that you do deal with, that you would be in, somebody would be coming to you to talk to you about the sin that you were committing. The same kind of thing would result. And in addition to that, if you start struggling 
with the issues that you have within you because of the same attitude that you have towards others and their sin, if you start then dealing with the struggles that you have deep inside and you start realizing that there's something wrong with the relationship that exists between you and your God just as you presented to this other person, now you're going to experience a new temptation and that temptation is going to come because your God is not loving you in the way that you need to be loved You will be tempted. You will be tempted by the world to meet the need that you have to be loved because your God rejects you. That's what he means. Be careful, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Be careful when you confront somebody about the sin that they are dealing with. So how do you do that? Well, there's two ways. First of all, if a person is in a sin and they are unwilling to admit that it is sin... There is a possibility that they are saved if they at least admit and confess that it is sin, that it is a problem, that this is something they shouldn't be doing, then it is possible. But if they don't even acknowledge that it is a sin, then you're dealing with somebody who's on the level of an unbeliever. And for that kind of a person, sure, give them the law. Give them the law. Give them some good condemnation in their life. Use it in that way in order to lead a person to the point of despair so that they can embrace the forgiveness and the grace and mercy that God has for them. You won't be tempted because you're using the law appropriately. You're using it in order to direct a person to Christ, knowing full well that there is a life in Christ after that. And if you know what that is, you're not going to be tempted in the way that Paul is warning you in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. You can use it in that context. But if a person is saved and they know that this is evil, and they know that they have been overtaken in this sin that they are dealing with, then there's nothing wrong with approaching them and discussing this with them and trying to help them and restore them in such a way that they can still be a part of the fellowship and of the community and can still be a part of your life. You can do that. But listen to me very carefully. You don't do it with the law. You use the law in this context in order to lead a person to Christ. But if they have been saved, if they are a believer, then you don't use the law for this purpose. You must approach them. You must restore them from the perspective of the new covenant, which says that you are to be loved by your God. You are to be forgiven By your God, you are to rest in his peace and in his self-control, in his goodness. That is what you are to do. Now, I explained in previous programs that the reason why a person commits a sin, the reason why a person will be overtaken in a trespass is because they are not being loved by their God. That's the reason why, the root reason why. If they are not resting in the love of God, they can be an easy target for sin easy target for sin. They can be an easy target for a trespass. And so approach them from that point of view and say, brother, you are not being loved by your God. You are not being accepted by your God. You are not resting in your God. You are not living with the inheritance that he has already given you. If you will encourage a brother in this way, you will also find yourself being encouraged, knowing full well that you have sins that have overtaken you. You know full well that you are struggling with temptations in your life, and this is an opportunity to be encouraged as well. 
to rest in the love of God and to receive the fruit that he has for you. In this context, in the context of Galatians chapter 5, verse, verse 22 and 23, you are to sit down, be calm, be quiet, don't freak out, don't panic, don't try to figure out how to get God to like you anymore. Just take some time, rest, and eat of the fruit of the Spirit. Eat of the fruit of the Spirit. You're hungry. You're empty. This trespass is an indicator to that effect. And so take some time to rest in Christ Jesus. Take some time to enjoy what he has for you. Let him fill your heart, just as you would eat fruit in the flesh to fill your stomach. Eat the fruit of the Spirit to fill your spirit and allow him to meet the deepest needs of your heart. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, he says, Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. In this context, he's saying, Bear the sins that other people are dealing with, that other people are struggling with. These are burdens that they have. Fulfill the law of Christ in the sense of forgive them. Live in the forgiveness of Christ. Live in the forgiveness that we know, that we understand according to the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus, according to the law of the new covenant in Christ Jesus. Bear one another's burdens in the sense of bear with a brother, bear with a sister, bear their sins in the sense of tolerate, in the sense of forgive, in the sense of accept. He doesn't mean that in the sense of This person has a significant amount of work to do or they have some serious problems that they need some help with and so help them out, help them do the work or give them some resources so that they can solve some of the problems that they have. That's not what he's talking about. In verse 5, he says, for each one shall bear his own load. He's definitely not talking about doing things that somebody else should have done or are capable of doing for themselves. He's talking about bear one another's trespass. Bear one another's sin, according to verse 1. If you do that, then you will continue to have an opportunity to have a relationship with this person so that you may continually encourage them to depend on Christ Jesus and know who he is. And I will continue with this in the next broadcast. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net